welcome everyone tuning in to this first edition of Maverick Sports Take Podcast with myself, Ryan Roberts, and Mr. David Turner, bringing you everything and anything you need to know, NFL, college football, NFL draft, the sports world in general. I've had the privilege of getting to know David over the last couple months here since the live draft show for NFL Draft Bible. We have been having so much fun having a conversation every Friday. We were like, dude, we talk on a daily basis anyway. We might as well put out another podcast to really get our information out there. So, David, man, how excited are you? I'm happy to be doing this with you, obviously, man, and uh, really excited for our first time together here. Man, I am pumped uh, that we are taking what we do on Friday Night Scout School and now putting it into a podcast, talking you with your coach's view, me with my scout's view, per personnel, business. We're going to have some special guests rolling up in here over the coming weeks talking about what's going on in the sports world, not only football, but baseball and everything else. We're going to have some unique perspective on what is the current climate of sports. And let me just say this on this momentous first episode occasion, I am jacked that you are my partner. You are my ride and die on this because like you said, since our chemistry kicked off on that live draft show, we've done Friday night scout school, which we're teaching the world about about scouting, how to view players, how it comes from the firsthand knowledge of us seeing and breaking it down. I mean, it's just so incredibly wonderful to have found somebody that I, I pair with my passion, the intelligence and integrity you carry with you that now we can carry that over to a podcast every week and share it with these, with these uh, men and women around the world, around the nation that uh, really are interested in the business of sports and how to like maximize sports. Dude, this is going to be so much fun. It's going to be great. And I can't wait for us to get into it tonight. Oh, absolutely, man. And, uh, you know, just real quick, NFL Draft Bible, Maverick Sports Consulting, bringing you this opportunity here. So, Rising Draft on Twitter for myself, at Mav underscore sports for Mr. David Turner here. So, as David said, we've been doing Friday Night Scout School now, going into our fifth week this week. So, this was just a, a – think of it as an extension, right? There's obviously so much we can get to in an hour, hour and a half, somewhere in that little bubble, but we really wanted to add this extra segment here because there's so much information that's happening, I mean, especially over the last couple of days, right? We're finally getting some needed answers or at least, you know, just needed information to eventually make those decisions. So we're getting into this crazy football offseason, this crazy football world that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. And... Just so excited here about getting into it. You know, as David said, 18 years in the business for him from the scouting side of everything, from teams like the Miami Dolphins, uh, New York Giants, Carolina Panthers, Oakland Raiders, myself bringing more of the coaching background at a high school level, and now I'm the scouting director from NFL Draft Bible. So we're going to give you multiple uh, perspectives on different topics. We're bringing it loud, we're bringing it proud, and we're excited to be here. Obviously, David, COVID-19 has to be what we have to start with here, man, because it has flipped the world upside down, you know, from a health perspective, from a family security perspective, from a sports world perspective. It's um, uh, over the news the last couple days, right? We're seeing more and more college football conferences getting canceled. I wanted to start just from the health side of everything. For these players now that are making such a difficult decision, right, because this isn't just about playing the game, right? Obviously, they want to play football. Everybody wants to play football, especially at the college player's age. 
this obviously there's there's more decisions to be made here, right? Do they do they put their health on the line? There's so many different perspectives from a family perspective. We've seen guys opt out in the NFL world because you know they might have some some people in their family that have struggled with different um, different you know um, diseases or, or past health concerns that are making them make that decision. So for you, David, just you know this world, man, from a health perspective, how scary is it, and and what, you, and what is it like to be in these young men's shoes to have to make these tough decisions at such a young age? You know, I described it to somebody the other day. Like, as a businessman, we all take leaps. We all take leaps of faith. We all jump and take that trust leap. Right. Right now, there is too much of a fog level to know if you're going to land safely. If you're a young man or a young athlete, man or woman, whatever, asked to be coming back and playing fall sports right now, you really have to think about, do I know enough in order to be successful in my future? Looking down the road. Because right now there's too many, there's too many studies that are just starting to be done on long-term health effects if you do capture COVID. The, the obvious conversation that's dominating the landscape right now is will you live or will you die? Okay. That's the only conversation, but let's take a point three days ago on Saturday or so, whenever it was, I read an article that a young man who's 27 years old used to be a center uh, on the basketball team at Florida state. He's 27. Now he got COVID. He developed a, a heart disease, a heart generate a degenerative type situation. He got over the COVID, but he went out and trained for basketball and he dropped it on the court. Okay. These are the things, the secondary health risks that people aren't talking about. What happens, John Murphy, the other day on the all access state of football brought this up. What happens if you go get COVID playing for Florida state this year or for Nick Saban's Alabama and you recover, but your lungs never recover. And then you fail an NFL physical next year at the combine, if there is a combine, or, you know, there will be some kind of physical to enter the NFL, and you fail the physical. Well, now you sign the waiver that they're asking you to sign to play college football and not sue Alabama or Florida State, whoever lets you play. So what's your repercussions of pain of, you know, being able to provide for your family? The average athlete in the NFL, his career is only 3.3 years. So think about that. You're 22 years old. You come in into the NFL. Your, your career is already told to you going to be over by 25, 26 on average. I mean, that's the average lifespan of an NFL athlete. Now you're going to shorten that lifespan by getting COVID and affecting your lungs where you a may never get a, a ability to do what you've always dreamed to do since you're eight years old or B you're, you're just can't perform at the same level. So maybe, you know, you still get drafted, but you're not performing at the same level. So you're not getting drafted as high. And let's talk about the business of that. The business of that is every single slot in the NFL draft is slotted. So therefore, you only get paid so much for where you get, you get drafted. Not the highest drafted receiver, where you get drafted. So if you're drafted in the second, third, fourth round, those slots are already predetermined what you're going to get paid. Now, with an average athlete's career only lasting 3.3 years and the, and the contracts for the NFL first-rounders are 
guaranteed for seventh is four years. So the NFL's already weighted where this is going to be 100%. You get one contract. That's it your whole life. You're not going to see two. You know, everybody sees the Patrick Mahomes deal. I'm going to make $500 million. No, you're not. You know, the 99% of the athletes that go into the NFL see one contract and their career is done. So why would you walk into school where they say it's too unsafe for you to come to school, to go to school, to sit in a room and listen to a lecture, to go to a dining hall, to go where you can actually keep six feet difference. It's unsafe to do that. We're not bringing the general students back in, but we're going to have you walk into a locker room. We're going to have you block and tackle. We're going to have you go through a padded practice. We're going to have you simulate uh, in tackling drills, rubbing up or even hitting the same Duke bag where your sweat's going to be next to the man's sweat behind you. And if you think about who's pushing you towards that future, that decision, it's a business decision. I said earlier on a post on one of my, my math minutes today, Nick Saban has coached over 30 years of football, okay? You don't think he can go spend some more time on his lake boat and have some fun and take a year off? He's got enough money. He can go do that. But it's not about Nick Saban. It's about the universities and the individuals that are behind the universities that need this money to make the universities run. And again, if you take in the university, we're going to talk about, right, Ryan, we're going to dive into the business side of this. If you're going to talk about the business side, the money that college football makes around this country for their students, it pays for the, it not just pays pays the athletic department. It pays for a lot of the academic scholarships. It pays for helping subsidize housing on campus. It pays for Title IX. It pays for all this other stuff. So therefore, it's, it's, a, it's a big revenue generator that the schools really have to think of how do we protect it and get it going. Now, it's a shame because it's an amateur sport, supposedly. But it's a shame that that's how this is thought of. And it's built its way into being the backbone of how our society pays for sports, school, academic scholarships, and so much more. So we really have to think about what these young men are being asked to do. They're really being asked to be the breadwinner of the university by getting on the field and doing this, but yet they're not getting paid to do this. And and again, the university has already stated it's too unsafe to come to campus to have school to take classes. So how can they ask these young men to play football? Yeah, I think that's the real disconnect for me, right, is like, you know, student athlete, like we always talk about that phrase, right? If a guy isn't going to school, how can you bring the athlete part of him? I think it's a really interesting conversation. And one that, David, for me, like the fact that it's such a moneymaker, right, has made me hold out hope for a long time now that maybe it's going to to assert itself. Maybe it's going to last just for the simple fact of, hey – we don't want to lose out on that payday, right? All these colleges, these these conferences, right? Like they don't want to lose the ability to generate that income, generate that source, right? That, that, fo- that college football ultimately brings. But now we're seeing over the last few days, right? Like Big Ten canceled, Pac-12 canceled. These are not, you know, no, no offense to the MAC or the Missouri Valley Conference, right? Like these are obviously the power five. These are the major players in college football – how troubling is it for you, the fact that two down, three more to make a decision, not looking great for college football, how, how in trouble are they ultimately, do you think? I think they're absolutely ultimately in trouble, all of them. Because, again, it, how do you tell a student athlete to come play football 
and keep the air uh, of they're not here just to play football. They're a student athlete. Well, none of the other students are here. So why are you requiring these students to be here? And then none of the other fall sports are here, just these guys. So all you're talking about is generating the revenue that's needed for the you know institutions to support themselves, which again, that's a double-edged sword. Like what side of the fence are you on? If you're on the administration, you're like, man, we need this money or we could close shops. Some, some small mid-major schools might lose the entire school. They're not getting the $2 million payday to go play Alabama this year. The rest of their sports and the rest of their you know whole campus doesn't generate $2 million like that one game does for them that year. So again, you're risking institutional livelihoods here. But at the same time, in a pandemic, you have to protect the children. And yes, I said children, because an 18 to 22-year-old, no matter what gender they are feel they're bulletproof anyways and now you go put them on a college campus in a sport letting them play asking them to play there and then um, and then them starting to feel a little comfortable they go out into that community and now now what's happened we have continually seen infectious diseases continue to spread this is not even eight months in guys we've we've known about this since like january so we're like barely eight months into this we didn't shut things down to March. Like we went through January and February thinking everything was going to be fine. It was going to be short lived. You know, we all had hope that it would be really quick, but now we're in to August and we have 160,000 Americans dead of COVID related issues. Okay. That's, that's, that's more than the world wars and stuff. All right. You gotta understand like this isn't a little thing, you know, and it's not going away anytime soon. So what's troubling to me is that the business is starting to take and overweigh that public health argument that this this shouldn't be going on. All right. Now, if we lose some programs, if we lose some institutions, that's going to be terrible. And I think the honestly, the government should be looking at what they can do to help supplement the losses for these programs. Uh, that really needs some money. And I'm not talking Alabama and, S- and SEC football, but, you know, I'm talking some of the smaller schools that need help to make sure that not only the program, but the school stays open because those paydays aren't here that they were leaning on so much. That's a national conversation for our educational system to think about our national government, our state governments, to think about how they can supplement those schools. I know here, in, I live in Arizona. The University of Arizona is the largest employer in the state of anybody if the university of arizona can't afford to open their doors and do everything they they are like required to do to make money that's the largest employer in our state that will go away so yeah i mean the universities really need to be looked at to see how they can be helped and assisted but forcing young men to go play football at this point in time and i know somebody's gonna have a problem with me using the word forcing but really you are you're saying come play or your scholarship might be in jeopardy. Come play or I can't guarantee your roster spot will be there for next year. I can't guarantee we're not going to move forward. How can That's forcing, guys. That's coercing and it's guiding them into a decision that they're being forced they have to make. Otherwise, they're going to lose their spot, their scholarship. They're going to lose the opportunity to play a season and actually get drafted. These words are being said to people 
so what I'm I don't want to use I don't want to use the word forcing. What I want to use is the word coercing and uh, you know making sure that we understand when people are being told you know you cannot or you might lose your spot. I can't hold your spot. You know what, kid? You might want to just move on and uh, take school online courses and not play football anymore because if you don't play this year, the opportunities might not be around for you next year. It'll already have passed you by. Now you're telling this to a 21, 22 year old young man who's dreamt of playing NFL football since he was eight years old. So therefore you don't want to miss that opportunity. Therefore that is being coerced into playing football. Even if you don't feel it might be in your best interest. And have you seen an offensive line? They're saying outlaying issues like obesity is, is a, a contributing factor to people that are passing away due to this heart disease and things. Have you seen defensive tackles lately? Have you seen offensive linemen? Like, so you have to really think about this. What are, what is it that we're asking these young men to do? And yeah, I'm talking football right now, but again, young men and women, if you're asked to come back and play a fall sport, what are we asking you to do? It's put your livelihood, your life in jeopardy. And again, we don't know long-term effects. We don't know if this is going to be a situation where we have scarring of the lungs, which affects your lungs for down the line, now becomes a pre-existing health condition that maybe an insurance company doesn't cover because you, you know, you got asthma now, or you got this, or you got that. I don't know. Again, there's a lot of fog. We don't know. And we're not letting it clear to really see where we're jumping into. We're just trusting we're jumping into. And here's another point, Ryan. Here's another point. I think it was, uh, was it Gil Brand or somebody? I can't, I'm, I know I've got it wrong, but somebody on Twitter just said it. It was like, does the SEC and ACC have doctors that are different than the Big Ten and Pac 12? Like, where the, what science are they looking at where the Big Ten and Pac-12 look at the same science, the same data, you know they're sharing stuff across the board, and they're saying, no, it's not safe enough for our kids to play. But now the ACC and ACC are saying, oh, we're doing all the protocols. We're doing everything we're told. Great. But I would believe that the, SEC, the, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten were doing the same protocols, and they've already determined, no, it's not feasible. I mean, you got to look at the NFL. They're testing guys two and three times a day almost. And, and they're testing them to make sure that they're staying safe. Who has that money in college football to test them that much? And then if you're not testing them that much, you're putting the whole program in jeopardy. Look at what we saw in baseball. In the bubble, they were fine. As soon as they get outside the bubble, the Marlins, 17 people, and they canceled like six games. Like, how's that going to work if you go to the University of Alabama and you wind up with 20 guys? I know you got 100 guys on your roster, but you 20 guys get sick. I mean, that closes the program down. Then anything that was planned got to be canceled. Yeah. So, you know, is it? there's just too many unknowns. And yeah. that's what my whole thing is about. There's too many unknowns. Yeah, especially, like you said, with, with a, you know, college football system. Because, like – it, it's it's really sad too because like you know we hear from a conference perspective right like we hear commissioners of conference we hear schools coming out UConn UMass today canceling football when am I going to hear from the NCAA about a a a assumed course of action like when are they going to speak up and tell us like hey we're going to give these conferences 
their final say on what they're going to do, but are there some precautionary tales that are going to be put out? Are there some things that they could suggest? Is there a suggestive route of, of power of, of action? When are the guys that are, you know, I mean, let, let's say it like this, right? Like they're making money off of these young men, right? Like the men's NCAA is making a ton of money. When are we going to hear from them? Is, are we going to hear from David? I don't know if we're ever going to hear from him. It makes me very sad because I really want to see just a united front, right? Like that was one good thing that's coming out is some conferences, the players are becoming united in their, in their cause and doing all those types of things. That's great. When are the, the very up top going to give some suggestions or some course of action for these students, for these student athletes, for these programs to make the best decision possible for everyone? Well, and that's also a very good point, right? Because think about this. The national leadership across the board hasn't been definitive. And what the last thing I saw from the NC2A was, is we're still, relate, we're still trying to take in the science to understand where we really will be in mid-September when these games are supposed to take, kick, kick off. Well, now you have conferences, let's call them governors, are already saying, no, our state's shut down, or no, this, this conference is shut down. We're already doing it. But the national leadership hasn't come back out and said, you know what, the science has proven to us to this point that we really need to shut it down, or come out the other way and say, hey, the science isn't conclusive yet. You know, we still have some questions that we need answered. So, I mean, we can't say we're going to cancel everything just yet. We have to think it over more. We have... Where's the response? You were seeing, like you said, we're seeing teams and we're seeing conferences. So we're seeing governors and mayors close up shop, but we're not seeing the national governing body that's supposed to keep fairness across recruiting and everything else, it, you know, coming out with a statement. And let's just take that one point. There's many ripples in the lake, right? When, when this drop, it created many ripples in the lake uh, after the drop. But let's take this recruiting thing. If you're now a recruit and Alabama's recruiting you and UCLA is recruiting you, Alabama can lead in and start with the recruiting conversation. We never stopped. We played through COVID. We played through anything. We're going to play. Send your kid to us and they'll play through anything. It doesn't matter. Those guys, those sissy guys out West, they're going to cave in and they're going to, they're not going to play. How is that not a recruiting advantage? Oh, it is. For a team. It absolutely is, right? So now, now you got a recruiting advantage that's being allowed and, and going to say, okay, now you can go do it. What? Hmm. Like, what? The whole governing board is to keep recruiting even and keep things across the board even and a fair playing field. Now you're giving the okay that the SEC, ACC can go do what they want, put lives at risk, and become a better recruiting stick than the, the rest of the conferences, the rest of the schools. They can afford to do the recruiting and stay and test and do everything so they can win that recruiting battle when other schools are being penalized they can't afford it. That's exactly what the NC2A was developed for, to have a recruiting field that's level and playing field that's level, and they're allowing this to be run amok. 
And, and now it becomes a conversation. I think that's a great point, David, because now it becomes a conversation of sustainability, right? Like we talk about wanting to like when a recruiting pitch, right? Like coming to an organization in Alabama that has a Nick Saban who had, runs a consistent winner over a long period of time, year in and year out, you know, Alabama is going to be that level. That's sustainability. We, we've seen so far the SEC has not shut down. Notre Dame, right? We talk about Notre Dame hasn't been really in the limelight winning national championships in a long time, but year in and year out, they're still competitive football team. And now, even though Notre Dame is a, a independent conference, right? They aren't in a conference. They had to field their own schedule. The ACC is like, you're a sustaining winner, right? Like year in and year out, we know what you are. You're a brand. We know you are going to come out on the other side because you can Come to the ACC. You can be a part of the program for a year. I mean, part of the, the conference for a year. And I think that's a great pitch, honestly. It really is. We want to, You want to go to a team, to an organization, to a consistent winner that no matter what happens on the other side, they're coming out, and they're coming out better than ever. So I think that's a wonderful point. There is so many uncertainties, but one thing that can be certain throughout this all, myself and Mr. David Turner are going to be live every week to talk about this game, no matter if it's COVID shutdown, there's no college football, there's no NFL, whatever it ends up being, the worst case scenario, we're going to be here, Maverick Sports, NFL Draft Bible, breaking it down. David, I think the last thing I really want to talk about with this college football side of everything, right, because we have to get to the fans eventually, but yep. we're ta- I saw a tweet today, I forget who it was, but they were talking the SEC might just – take on a couple more teams, they might take make it almost a super conference, right? And then we're talking whispers of Ohio State. Like, why doesn't Ohio State just go play in the SEC for a year? They can compete. Is that a possibility? And maybe even further into that question, how many teams did you think that there needs to be in the general landscape of college football before it becomes just not a good product anymore? I'll take the first part really quick. As a super conference conversation goes – I absolutely think that if you break away from the NC2A and the governing laws that are within that, you're going to open yourself up to a lot of subsequent violations and things that are going to rub society the wrong way. Again, not if you have a level playing field, if you have the blanket of fairness, if you have the blanket of we're doing right by our students. Okay. Over you. There's things. Yes. We all know happen underneath the table that people don't see. Um, they're talked about, they're whispered about, but they don't see as soon as you rip that blanket off and you're like, you know what? Forget the, the NC2A. We're going to create a super conference and we're going to invite, you know, Ohio state, Nebraska, uh, you know, Iowa into the sec and create this super conference and, and we'll make our own money and we'll go, you know, yeah, the TV will pay for the revenue, the content. Absolutely. But what are you really doing? How is that? Again, that's a business decision. It's not one for the kids. It's not one for the students. So then again, it's like, why are you even attached to a university at that point? Just called an amateur football league. They don't have to go to class, pay them and keep it moving. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I mean, what's the point of having a, a governing board nationally and then just snub your nose out as soon as it doesn't do what you want it to do or, you know, the effects go against what you want. I mean, okay, Johnny, take your football, go home and, 
they just call it a developmental league and don't attach it to universities and, you know, don't have the blanket of we're trying to, you know, have a, a playing field for student athletes anymore. Cause that's not what you're doing. If you're creating a super conference based on football and revenue, it's not about student athletes anymore. It's all about revenue. So that, that's the first part of that. And then uh, how many do you need for, you know, college football? I think me, cause I'm a football traditionalist. Yeah, I think every school should have a football team. I think everybody should be playing football. I think it's the greatest game known to man. I mean, what happens between the chalk lines? I mean, yeah, I know they're painted on lines in this field turf now, but when I was coming up, it was all, you know, chalk lines and stuff. It's the best thing. You got 11 on 11. You got confined space, so you have to operate as a team to move downfield every cog has to be hitting and striving for the same thing moving the same direction on the same play bill walsh once said you strive for perfection in order to in hopes to hit excellence right and you know that if you don't strive for perfection you'll never even come close but the closest you'll ever get to perfection is excellence and that brings me to who i work for i work for al davis Right. And that was a hundred percent a walk in the building on the building. And it said, strive for excellence. And he expected excellence at every time you walked in that threshold of his office, that you were doing the best job you can do. And that meant care. I mean, one, there was a story about Al Davis one time, uh, one of the opposing teams left a playbook in the locker room after a walkthrough. And they brought it to Mr. Davis. And they said, hey, we got their playbook. And he said, don't give it to me. Don't even open it. Drive it right over to their offices or their hotel where they're staying. Leave it at the front desk. And don't you dare open that book. A lot of words and things have been spoken about Mr. Davis you know, that people just don't know. But stories like that were often ones that I heard when I worked in the building of fairness. Because it's not just how you – it's not just winning. Yeah, his famous statement, just win, baby. It really mattered how you won. You know, this man was undefeated of so many lawsuits against the NFL because why? He was smarter than them. He was out front. He knew the rules better than them, and he played inside those rules better than them. You know, he stretched those rules, but he never got those toes over the line. So, again, you're talking about how you win really needs to matter – and if teams decide to leave the NCAA to develop a super conference, they're not trying to win inside the rules. They're trying to recreate the rules to win. And at the end of the day, you know, we're going to talk about college football, obviously the big revenue, the moneymaker that we have already talked about a little bit, man. But like I'm that I, I, a little bit of romanticism in the voice, right? The child inside I love this game. You know, I've loved this game since I was nine years old. You know, it, it, like you said, in between those chalk lines, it's, it's something different. It's why I, I wake up and want to talk football all day. You know, they're, they're, it's, it's really the child inside, you know, and I, I feel like we're, I feel like some of these college athletes are going to lose that a little bit because obviously the guys like Micah Parsons and Gregory Russo, I'm sure we'll talk about those guys in future episodes, right? Those guys that are making the decisions best for them. Hey, they have every right to do that. I completely get it. I'm not worth millions of dollars. So I am not going to pass judgment on someone that is worth millions of dollars to go make their money. I'm just, I want to see college football, man, because on a Saturday, waking up, watching college game day, Kirk Herb Street, Lee Corso, getting ready for the games, man. Like I love NFL football, but I'll tell the you what. number two pencil. 
Number two, yeah, you're right, man. I'll tell you, NFL is is great. I watch it all day long, you know, from, from noon kickoff until the night game, until Monday night football to Thursday night, whatever it is. But th- there's something different about a college game day, man. There's something different about Saturday. So I, I need – uh, I need that 12 o'clock kickoff on Saturdays to get me through the week. So I definitely want to see it. I need to see it coming back. The fan aspect of it is an interesting conversation. That's the last point I want to kind of hit on here, right? Is, is there college football without fans? You know, when I think about it, it's the, the tailgating aspect. Then we move to the NFL, obviously even more the ta- tailgating aspect. It's, the game of momentum of football, you know, that crowd behind you, the 12th man over in Seattle. Those are the great parts of the NFL about college football, right? The, the fandom, the ability to, to look out into those stands and see the excitement in people's faces as you play the game. That it, No matter if you're a small school, high school player, and you have, you know, 100 people in the stands or you have 80,000 people screaming for you, that is the the unspoken love of the game, right? Every Saturday, every Sunday, those people are in the stands. How much are we losing, David, if those people aren't able to be there? And how much is it, is it kind of a buzzkill maybe even to some players not to be able to experience that energy boost, that adrenaline on a Sunday or a Saturday? Think about this. You just brought it up. College game day. Without fans. Are you watching that? No. <laughs> no, I'm not. Yeah. All right. Because the fans with the with the with the the posters behind them are half the damn fun to see who's gonna come up with the next creative, you know, whatever, and to make sure that Washington State flag is flying somewhere just because it's a Washington State flag flying on a Saturday morning, right? So again. I went to Del South High School. I was fortunate to play at one of the country's premier high school football programs. And we always, you know, from our – I'll go back, paint you a picture. We had this great little snack shack. And the dads and moms that man the snack shack would grill the hot dogs and the burgers. Well, that, that, that smoke used to fold over the student section and roll onto the field. And we used to call it the Friday Night Mist wasn't missed. It was just that smoke that came over, but across Owen Owens field as we as our home field, you would see that miss. And when you ran throughout, you ran out and you were ready to go take that field. And you saw that those student section erupt, that, 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 that miss coming over that smoke, your parents up there cheering you on all the, all the, the fans and the, the band playing. That's why you ran through brick walls. That's why you went down on a kickoff and you lit somebody's ass up. That's why you wanted to make the tackle. That's why you went down and you just wanted to rip into somebody that you had no idea who they were. All you knew is they had the ball and you needed to get the ball. Get the ball. That's it. Go get the ball. And that was it. And that was why you did it was to hear the roar of the crowd, to hear the appreciation the instant gratification that you did your job when that fan roars to their feet and says, yeah, get him. That's it. That's my guy. That's what it's about. That's what we connect to as a community, as a society, as fans of any sport, whether it's a crack of the bat and it flies out and you're seeing Mark McGuire hit a home run or Sandy Sosa or nowadays Judge, right? It, I mean, Trout, it, that's what it is. Like, I watched a baseball game the other night. I was like, you know, 
Yeah. It's okay. It's all right. You know, it's like having a cracker, not a Ritz cracker, but it's a cracker. It's okay. But, you know, it's like you without fans, and like you say, college football for me has tradition. The tradition of college football is still wholesome because mm-hmm. it's college football. I think the tradition of the NFL has gone away because they've gone too corporate. I think they've gone away with the no fun league, as one of my former coaches was famous saying, Jerry Glanville, you've said no, not for long league, but he's also said the no fun league because they've allowed the fans to get too far away. They're, they're not at arm distance anymore. They're like a mile away from the players. It's become too big business. But college football, they take that walk. Think about that walk Clemson takes. Think about the Ole Miss walk. They walk through the crowd. They see the fans. They're, they're there. There's traditions. There's history. There's, you want to be part of it. You want, when you graduate, you want to say you've done something at that school. Think of all the history at the U. I mean, come on. You want to say you are the best receiver at the U or the best running back. That means you are better than Emmett Smith or or at Florida. You're better than Michael at the U. You know what I mean? It's like there's tradition. Why is Notre Dame going to come out the back end of this? Because of the four horsemen, baby. Because back in the day, the four horsemen, the leprechaun, was the strongest team in this state, in this land. Okay? So you're ripping that fanhood away from some young kid by not playing. And you're ripping it away, honestly, if you do play. Because now you're telling that kid it's just about the money. You're ripping it away because it's not wholesome. It's not just about what's happening on the field. It's not Michigan and Notre Dame lining up to knock, you know, heads. It's not Michigan State versus Michigan on rivalry weekend. It's not Penn State versus Pitt. No, it's about making sure those dollars are pouring in. Making sure that these young kids understand, hey, it's about the money, kid. It's not about your life. It's not about the life when you leave Penn State. It's not about anything, but we need to get those revenue going. Mm-hmm. And guess what? That's ripping the fanhood. Yeah. You know, my as you see, I love this game. 18 years in, five NFL teams. UFL, AFL, I found every way to stay attached to this game in 20 years. I have not left it. And I've always fought to stay next to it because of my passion for the game. And that being said, I don't like what college football is doing because it's hurting the fans. They can't come and tailgate in a safe environment. They can't come and watch and support their fan or their team in a, in a safe environment. They can't be there for their guys to be the 12th man, to be the Texas A&M 12th, right? You can't go do it. You know, you, you just can't. It's not safe. And when we start risking safety and health for dollars, I think we're hurting the fans. Uh, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and, I mean, tradition, man, like we're not going to see Ohio State-Michigan this year, you know? LSU, I mean, we are going to see LSU in theory right now, but, like, the number seven for LSU, the number 12, like you said, for Texas A&M, that yep. is the stuff, man. That is the, what we remember, you know, those guys. I can still see Patrick Peterson wearing that number seven when he was at LSU. I can still see Tyron Matthew wearing it. Like, that's the stuff you remember, you know. You don't remember how much a team made in revenue every year. You remember your heroes growing up. I remember, you know, me growing up and, and – Notre Dame was bad early part of my early part of my years, right? And then Charlie Weiss came in and gave me a momentary like, oh, there's Brady Quinn and Jeff Samarja and Rima McKnight, and like that's that's the stuff that I'm missing. 
I want to move though, David, to Mr. Tom Pelissero, who who tweeted out. Yeah, big news. Big news. Big news. Right? There is going to they are opening up um, tryouts for um, or workouts, I should say, for um, for teams now. Right? So it's been kind of everything on hold. You don't want to bring teams into. You don't want to bring players into the organization. Obviously, with the, with the threat of everything happening, so they're opening the doors. There's a lot of stipulations, a lot of rules. I'm looking through it, man. There's like 20, there's like what, 12 points to this, to this little letter, right? Like there's a three day inclination period when they get in until they can mm-hmm. work out. There's two days afterwards uh, just to make sure that the, the tests come back positive, negative, obviously from the outside perspective, right? This is a big moment though, because we're opening opportunity. We talked a little bit. I mean, the first time we met, right. was during that draft show and we yep. talked a little bit about, Guys were not getting their opportunities, right? Everything was shut down. The pandemic COVID, um, the pandemic had shut down pro days and, and team visits and all this type of stuff. At least it seems that players are going to get an opportunity now to at least open up some doors. Now, an interesting part of this, I think that there was only – you can only have eight players visit in like a time period or a little span of time there. So, question to you, David, how big of a deal is this? And – do you think that some teams are going to think that this isn't worth it and maybe not utilize this as much as some might? Great question. So as a former pro guy, you know, I cut my teeth under Dave Gettleman at the New York Giants in the process. And then when I was at the Oakland Raiders, I spent three years as the the advanced man and, and pro guy for them. This is huge because up to this point, we've been handcuffed on being able to bring people in and get a look at them, see what kind of condition they're in because you just don't know what people have been able to do with gyms closures. Even here in Arizona, we had trails closing because people were hiking without masks and therefore passing it on trails. So how, what kind of condition are people in? Typically what you would have done is had a rookie camp after the NFL draft, bring in some, you know, 2020 guys and see what they look like in person and, and get a little feel for them, get a physical on them, go from there. That didn't happen. Um, most of these guys didn't get a pro day. So going back to, yeah, all the pro opportunities were closed down because we didn't have rookie camps. We didn't, we couldn't bring them in and get physicals. We couldn't give the opportunity to have workouts over the summer of anybody who was a free agent. And then let's take this Ryan, like, you know, they, the NFL had to cut down from 90 man rosters to 80 man rosters if they want to have joint practices. So 320 young men who thought they were going to be NFL training camp players didn't even walk in the door. Couldn't even walk. They got cut before they got there. So that's 320 players that literally need spots or an opportunity to work out. Now, you know, this summer I took, I traveled the country as director of player personnel for the ANC combines where we gave players who didn't get a chance to have a pro day or an opportunity to try out for an NFL team to get verified measurables, height, weight, hand, arm, 43 cone, broad jump, plus positional drills. I wrote player reports on the top guys at every combine for my NFL colleagues and for my CFL colleagues. And I sent them those reports because they couldn't get their eyes there. So I put my eyes to the test and gave them reports. You know, we average about 120 kids at each combine because there's a lot of kids out there that are looking for opportunities. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that 120 guys were worth NFL opportunities because they weren't. But the ones that were, you know, I, I tried to back them. ANC, we're still meeting. We're still pumping them. We're still trying to get them the looks. But now that this door is open, 
Now the NFL can bring them in. Like you said, only eight at a time through a certain window. And there's a lot of steps to take for that, for that to happen. That being said, what teams are going to take advantage of it? I think every team is going to take advantage of it. I think there's every team has about four or five guys right now they really want to see. Like they're like, dude, we got to bring these guys in. We got to see them. And I hope that everybody abides by the rules one of the part, one of the twelve points, which I thought was interesting, was that no team can pay a third party to hold a workout and do a workout for them. Because I was like, that's interesting. Because I know they've been getting hit up by people like ANC and other groups to say, hey, we'll work the guys out for you off site. So the NFL obviously heard enough of that, saying, you know what, we don't want unfair advantage that one team will pay for that and other teams won't. So they can't go and do that. Plus the liability factor rolled in there, I think on, uh, on that too. So you got to look at it a little bit both ways, but I think every team's going to take advantage of it. I think every team you're going to see work out four or five guys uh, within the first window here. And then you know, we'll see how, and if COVID starts affecting anybody, if it doesn't, you'll see them do more. If it does, it'll get shut down really quick. Yeah, and obviously it's a step in the right direction. Uh, the NFL is going to survive one way or the other, I think, in this situation. So definitely some good news there from Tom. Uh, looking forward, we might have him on a future show. Uh, a part of this experience, right, we're going to bring in some industry professionals that are going to be great interviews. They're going to present some great information. So we're definitely going to do that. And one thing that we are really excited about is we're going to do a mailbag segment, which we're going to get into in a second. Each week, we're going to take some questions from viewers, uh, whatever's on their mind, anything, again, spanning from college football, NFL, NFL draft, uh, general question, right? If they want to know David's favorite color, I'm sure they, they could ask him, and I'm sure David will, will uh, pop in probably a blue, look like a blue kind of person to me, David. Uh, forest green, baby, forest green. Forest green, okay. So I'm blue, David's forest green, in case anybody was wondering there. And uh, we got <laughs> We have these mailbag questions. We're going to do it every week. Uh, first one, and I want to give a really big shout out to everybody that put in a question. We thank you so much. We hope to be uh, have a lot more live situations where we can take some of your questions live in the future. But for now, we have Mr. Mark Jarvis at What's On NFL Draft, or sorry, What's On Draft NFL. Question for David: What do you think will be the hardest thing for scouts to adjust to without a season? Do you think the results of evaluation process? will be a lot more diverse this year. The adjustment's going to be you're going to have to grade out junior film and grade everybody on a, on a, on a litmus test of their junior film. And, and that's unfair to the player because, again, a lot of juniors didn't start as seniors. So the juniors, their first year, their first chance to step on the field as a starter, and therefore they're still getting their feet wet, they're still getting used to everything, and then a lot of you see a, a lot of these players take big jumps their senior year, and they'll take a big jump up. Now, again, we can sit and talk about the top 100 all day, guys. I'm not talking about the top 100. I'm talking about the kid who maybe has a Bledsoe scout I didn't like as a junior. Then I go back in as a senior, and I put him in the fifth round, you know, like a, a Dane Krishank or, you know, a Jaleel Scott, um, you know, guys like that that – didn't have a ranking before their senior year, then we go in and we look at them and we put them in the fifth round, sixth round. They wind up getting drafted. They're, they're, they're starters. They're role players for their organizations. 
those are the individuals that are going to be hurt by not having a season because a lot of what they their uh, resume was built on their senior year of production. Yeah. You know, and then when you think of results of evaluation in the process, we've been talking about it on the state of football all week on all access football with uh, Rick and, and the crew, you know, it's a situation where if you have veteran scouts that have gone through these schools and they know these players and these personnel people, they know these coaches, they know these staffs of uh, medical staffs and stuff, you're going to have better information going into the draft this year because of those relationships. If you have nothing but fat collectors and people that didn't build relationships, just went in, got the basic information and left, then you're going to be behind because you don't have enough information this year to make the right decisions. Guys, gals, there might not be a combine. You might not have an, an, an indie combine if the virus is still running amok and we can't trust to put 300 people together and get physicals, do interviews, and do all that. You're going to see a whole new climate if this doesn't get under control. So how the evaluation process will be divert different, it's going to be way different this year. And if they push – the, into the spring, like say we get a vaccine, it's safe to play in the spring. Colleges open up to get the money and play in the spring, and they can pull it off. They can do it. Now, players are. Does the NFL push the draft to make it better for the player? But then again, the player goes into a season draft process of two or three weeks, and into into a training camp of like three or four weeks rest, and then into a season. Is that really better for the player's body? I mean, we can get into all this stuff, and we will get into all this stuff, you know, as we go through all this. Yeah, I think attrition is definitely a great conversation, a topic there, right? Moving that quickly back into into, uh, competitive sports after your body has been through the daily grind of playing football you know it is everybody has nicks and bruises everybody has little injuries at the end of the season and then you're getting a couple weeks and then right back into a competitive environment that rest I think that there's a lot of I don't think that that's being talked about enough to be honest because that is that's a difficult thing especially for a young person to even on a mental capacity right like you are playing at this level and then your body's all beat up. You go into a new situation where you're the where the you're the young guy now, right? You're trying to prove your worth, and your body isn't at 100%. So your body isn't doing the things that it usually does. But you're trying to compete against older players to find your spot on this football team. But you don't have what's in the the fuel in the tank right now to compete at that level. And then you get put behind the eight ball. That hurts your mental side of everything, right? Because now you're thinking down on yourselves of your of your ability. There's so many different layers to that. I think the only thing I'll add to the question there on David's side is he mentioned the relationships obviously developed, you know, on a scouting trail with different coaches and, and you know, a director of personnel and all those types of people at schools. I also think, and I've talked about this a couple of times last week when we were on the live show, was the relationship between the scouting department and their own coaching staff, right? The trust, the understanding of what you exactly need at different positions, what a defensive coordinator is looking for, what a position coach is looking for at, at various positions. I think that's so important right now, um, kind of moving forward here, because you're going to be handicapped to some information. You need to make sure that you guys are all on the same page and looking and understand what you're looking for and, and who is the best option to fill that 
it, it's just such a crazy world that we're living in, man. And uh, kind of the next question we have is is similar, right? Because we're talking about some things being handicapped. Obviously, with the Pac-12 and Big Ten being canceled, you're going to get less tape potentially on these players, less information. So at NFL Ballard, Garrett Ballard asks, prospects you think were most hurt by the cancellation of the Big Ten and Pac-12. So obviously, everybody's going to be hurt, right? You're going to have less – opportunity, less tape. Obviously, some are going to be less uh, more than others. But the guys that really stand out to me are this time last year, right? Like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was not on the NFL radar very much. You know, he was like a UDFA late-round guy. Joe Burrow was famously quoted to be a fifth- to sixth-round pick. It's the guys that we're not talking about right now, right? Because this is where the rise starts. Right. These players – Burst onto the scene. They have, they've been a backup at Alabama for three years, kind of treading, you know, treading uh, water a little bit, waiting for their time. And now they get on the forefront and they are Quinn and Williams. You know what I'm saying? Like we ha- we don't know who those guys are for me because it happens every year, these huge risers, and we don't know who they are. And unfortunately, we might not get to know them for another year potentially now. Well, take this uh, even like the small school kids like the Nate Shepherds. Right, Nate Shepard came out of Fort Hayes State, and he wound up being the 72 pick overall in the NFL draft. If you had to ask anybody this time that when it was his senior year, if they knew who the hell Nate Shepard was at Fort Hayes State, the answer would be unequivocally, "Who? What? <laughs> what school? The small school kids are going to get absolutely, you know, d- devastated by this. And you know, I know some of them are entering the portal to come up, but again. What's the opportunity when you come up? You don't know what you're walking into. I mean, these kids are making decisions, like I said, in a fog, grasping at straws, trying to find a survival technique. And again, fight or flight. I love these kids fight. I love that they're fighting to find an opportunity. I love that. As a scout, I'm going to grade that up. I'm going to say this kid is trying to do everything in his power to get on the field and be part of an organization. Love it. But who's missing out the most on this? on all this stuff being, you know, all these teams being hit, you don't know who the next Cody Barton was. You know, Cody was at, U, you know, University of Utah, his junior year. He was behind some guys. He played a few snaps, uh, three games, I think it was, got hurt. And then he was out, you know, and then going into his senior year, dang, I had to upgrade him and put him on the map as a Bledsoe guy. And boom, you know, he wound up. And again, it wasn't just me. I mean, everybody went through, saw Cody and was like, who is this guy? Where was he last year? I mean, because he was a good player. I think he wound up going in the third or fourth round of the Falcons. So, you know, again, it's those type of players that you just didn't know were going to have the stellar senior years that come on and play a stellar senior year. And boom, now you got a guy. Yeah, and, if, and for, for Garrett's sake, if I had to throw out one player that I think kind of really fits that mold of a returner, a guy that we kind of tangibly know some things about, I think of a Walker Little that's at Stanford right now who left tackle, 6'7", 310 pounds, looks the part, re- went into 2019 with a ton of hype. A lot of people thought he was going to be a declaree for the 20, uh, 2020 cycle, and then he gets hurt early on in the season in the first game against Northwestern. And honestly, 2018 film wasn't great. He went into 2019 with a lot of buzz because people saw the talent level, gets hurt in the first game of the season, even though he's having a pretty good game against Northwestern. And some people are throwing him in the first round conversation, but now we're going to go into, you know, almost two years of non-film potentially. And we're going to try to stake a claim to be a first round pick. Like there is 
so many great areas with that type of player. I think he could have had a potential big rise because the talent's all there. It was just, you know, the ability to get a full year on tape. So great question, Garrett. We appreciate you again for popping that one in. Uh, Daniel Garrett uh, wanted to know, what position will Cade Mays play at the next level? I know I've seen him uh, a little more than David, so I'll, I'll uh, kind of answer this question for us. So Cade Mays, he's a strange story, um, David. He is – Former five-star recruit, 6'6", 320-pound offensive lineman at Georgia, right? And played in a guard, played a little bit of tackle, uh, kind of think thought of as a versatile type of player. So he actually is transferring to Tennessee for, this, for his junior season now, and he got immediate eligibility, I believe. There was some weird story with his dad at a, at a social event at the school getting his pinky caught in a like a folding chair and a part of his pinky got amputated or something. So Ronnie Lott, huh? Right. Yeah. So there was like this big odd story, right? So like Cade Mays now is going over to Tennessee. It seems like he's going to be right tackle over there potentially. I'll tell you from what I've seen, I like Cade inside a good amount. The dude is strong. He's physical. When he gets inside, man, there is a you are gonna have a hard time breaking his grasp. He has some very strong hands. He was forced to play left tackle his last game of the season against Baylor in the, uh, I think it was the Cotton Bowl. And when I tell you that was one of the worst offensive tackle um, games I saw so far this summer, he was bad. I'll I'll tell you, I don't think that he's a great athlete. I think he's a big physical um, player, gets down in the run game. He's got some nice length to him. But I just don't think that he has the – physical attributes as far as foot quickness, ability to mirror. I don't think he's a guy that you're going to last on the edge too long against those talented speed rushers. So I, I would say K. Mays is a guard only for me, even though he's going to play tackle. Kind of an odd player. I think that he has starter upside as a guard inside, but tackle, I'm just really struggling with Cade Mays right now. And it even sounds like you're, you're describing a right guard, not even a left guard, because you're right. looking at a big body who maybe can come off and be a road grader and, you know, maul some people, but not one that's going to have range and feet to handle that three technique consistently. Right, yeah. And, and he um, he's had some good film inside at right guard, actually, in spurts. Everything at tackle, I mean, like, I think it's telling that Georgia, the most of his playing time is calling in a guard. I mean, a lot of people are really jumping on that bandwagon that maybe he can play tackle, but, like, Usually you move guys in, you don't move them out. You know what I'm saying? So It's rare you can move a guy out. I mean, really, if he's playing in, he's in there for a reason. It's usually he has a lack of foot foot skill. Yeah, absolutely. So Um, so I want to throw this one at you. Mr. Eric Hindenburg at Hindenburg Scout wanted to know, do you think players who choose, if possible, to play in spring will regret that come the 2021 season Hard to fathom the body taking the toll of two seasons in one calendar year. I'd rather see them sit than play in spring personally. So we talked about that a little bit. Ultimately, David, what do you think is the best course of action? Do you think that some people will regret playing in the spring if their conference has been pushed there? I think it depends on the position and the player, to be honest with you, because I know plenty of players that can play just year round because they're just rare athletes that are just uh, unbelievable condition. They've just got extra, you know, whatever it takes, moxie or whatever to just do it. So, you know, like we talk about it all the time, if they're getting their hydration, their rest off the field, their, their sleep, and they're not trying to burn the, you know, the candle at both ends, 
you got an opportunity to make that work. You know, if the discipline's there to be a professional athlete and the commitment's there, you have the opportunity to make that work. I don't think it's an automatic answer right here, guys. I, and I'm not sitting on the fence. I think, I think if you have a quarterback that's got an arm, that has a chance to play in the NFL, and you're talking about all these reps, let's be the, re, the reality is, are they going to play their first year? I mean, again, if you're talking about the kid from Clemson, yeah, he's going to probably play his first year wherever he goes. So would he play in the spring? Eh, probably not. But if you're talking about, like, guys we saw on the trail this year at ANC, like a Mike Class or a DeAndre, DeAndre Francois, you know, one of those guys that, you know, can play in the spring, make an impact on their season, on their draft stock, and then move into a third quarterback type role or developmental squad type guy, yeah, go for it because the demand on your arm isn't going to be as much post-training camp. The rest of the year you'll have time to, to get it back you're not going to throw your arm out. Um, so again, it's like, if you're going to be a starting pitcher, right. You know, coming out of college, you're going to move into a starting role right away. You got to question where you're going to throw your pitches, but if you're going to be just a situational right-handed reliever, you know, which isn't going to be called on all the time, you have a chance to recover and, and recoup. So it really is going to depend on the player and the situation. And I think that the team side of everything is going to change a little bit too. We talked about from a media perspective and a scouting world perspective, getting a little creative now this off season. I think teams are going to get a little creative with the usage of rookies next year, right? There's good, it's going to be a completely different world. It's going to be odd. So I don't think that there's any short-term fixes. I don't think there's any short-term answers. I think it's like you said, a player-by-player player basis, a team-by-team team basis, and what they decide kind of is the best course of action for them individually. So, Yeah, absolutely. Great point there. Final question we have is from Corey Kinnon, um, at Real Corey Kinnon. What would it take for Rashawn Slater, who is an offensive tackle from Northwestern, the starting left tackle, to be a top 32 pick in April? I'll say – Thank you, buddy. <laughs> You've seen him. <laughs> I'll say, David, and I think you're going to love his film, man, because we just got done – yeah, uh, bringing down some defensive linemen. I know I am looking forward to bringing down some offensive linemen in the future for sure. I'll say Rashawn Slater is an odd player. Uh, six foot two and a half, 314 pounds, playing left tackle right now because he is the best athlete on the offensive line for Northwestern. He has, I think he has some nice arm length. I wouldn't be surprised if he's got 34 plus inch arms despite only being six two and a half. So, I know there's going to be some people that are going to say, is he Isaiah Wynn from New England, right? Can he kind of ascend past that, that lack of height because he has solid enough arm length, he's a good enough athlete? For me, when I watch him, the best parts of his game for me, I think also fit better inside. Take some great angles, getting up to the second level. He's very smooth working to the second level. He's got incredible hand strength. When he, again, gets inside of you, he is it's over with. I mean, if you watch his game last year against Chase. You're describing a center. You're describing a center with the way you're talking. You know what I'm saying? The way with everything you just said, you're talking about some of the best attributes I've ever seen centers have. I, I would I wouldn't I wouldn't rule that out, honestly. He's a very flexible kid. I see a lot of I, I think that he could play all three interior positions. Could he play tackle in a pinch just because he's a good enough athlete? Like Maybe I don't think that that's his. I don't think that that's the best spot for him, though. I don't think that his talent is 
highlight enough. I don't think it fits best well enough on the edge. Even though, again, like if you want a fun game, you pop on Ohio State game from last year against Northwestern. Man, I'm telling you, he gave Chase Young some fits, David. I'm telling you, man, he gave him some fits. I'm, everything that Chase Young got accomplished against Northwestern was against the right tackle. When he was against uh, Mr. Slater at left tackle, I don't think he had a sack. I don't think he had a pressure. Well, and, and here's here's a point that we, we – I know we're running a little on time, but here's a point that we, we really should make. That's a situation where junior film could benefit this young player because if he did so well against Chase Young, who we know is a beast as a pass rusher, who, again, on Friday night this week, we're talking about him. He's one of our four that we're going to be watching tape on Friday night, Scout School. And, again – as you listen to this podcast, if you're interested in what Ryan and I do on Friday nights, go to the Draft Bible, uh, NFLDraftBible.com, register for Friday night's class. You can take it a la carte. It's like 35 bucks. Come listen to what we do, how this relationship started, because we teach people how to scout positions. This week is pass rushers, not edge players past rushers and we're going to be looking at some of the best that have come out of college football Khalil Mack uh Chase Young Vaughn Miller and Nick Bosa, Nick Bosa are going to be are going to be guys that we look at on the edge last week was the D tackles we went through the zero the one the two I and the four technique last week so again we're teaching football we're teaching how to stick out football position by position we're bringing this podcast to you to understand the business of football Ryan and I are trying to give you every angle to understand sports as we know it and pass this knowledge that for me took 18 years to a mess. Ryan's a little bit younger, but he still has a wealth of knowledge, as you can tell from this first flagship program tonight, that it really brings – he brings a lot to the table, and that's why these unique viewpoints are something we wanted to do and bring to you guys here at MAV Sports Takes. So, anyways, talking about it, though, if the young man – had great tape against one of the top pass rushers and most people would say the top player in last year's draft. Now he, he doesn't get any senior film to expose any weaknesses. Now you're investing in a guy who showed it junior year at a very high level and you're forecasting him forward. Then he hasn't been exposed at all. So, you know, that's, that's a place where junior tape will help him and his draft stock. Absolutely. So I'll tell you, as David said, right for Friday night scout school, we're not going to be seeing any chase young against Northwestern against Rashawn Slater. That's for sure. <laughs> the thing though, I mean, I mean, I, I get jazzed up talking about Rashawn Slater. Cause like the, some of the best tape I saw of him against Ohio state wasn't even against chase young either. It was climbing up to the second level backside on zone, getting up to Malik Harrison, who's a heck of a football player who got drafted in the third round this year by the Baltimore Ravens and erasing him. I'm talking driving him 15 yards downfield and not only doing that, but the technical aspects, right? Getting his butt in the right position to cut flow on the backside. It's wonderful stuff. Rashawn Slater, definitely a nice player. I think he could be a potential first rounder. If I, I think that the big thing for him though is – if he's a guard, I think that he could be potentially be a first-round level interior player or a center. The thing, though, that's going to really make his opportunity if he's not able to play this season is he's senior bowl eligible. Getting down to Mobile, if there is a senior bowl, I, I'm going to say right. that there, I hope there is, getting down there and showing up in those one-on-ones in the interior and making him some money down in Mobile is going to be a huge opportunity for Rashawn Slater. And if he doesn't have a season, that becomes even more paramount. Now we're talking about encapsulating a player's season 
in a one-week span. That is a lot of pressure, but some guys will live up to it. Some guys won't. Um, it's going to be a crazy situation. It's going to be a crazy opportunity, to say the least. David, as we're kind of winding down here, I'm, a, I'm just going to say my, a couple points that I just want to hit on. Friday night scout school, like David said, this Friday, diving into some 4-3 defensive ends, 3-4 rush linebackers, Von Miller, Khalil Mack, Nick Bosa, Chase Young, as David said. We're going to see what the traits say that fit best at the next level, which ones translate the best. We're going to take a look at their tape coming out. In order for us to be better evaluators, we need to understand what we should be looking for. And that's what we're trying to urge to the, to the young scouts in the, in, the, in the building, right? In the, the agents in the building, the fans in the building, whatever your perspective is, we're going to show you what you need to be looking for and why these players were so highly coveted and why some of them have been, well, all of them, well, except for Chase Young, obviously, wait and see on that yeah. one. But I'm you know pretty safe assuming why all these guys have been so successful in their careers so far. So Friday night scout school, 9 Eastern time. I would definitely recommend to, to take a look out there. Um, Brian Baldinger, a couple weeks, August 26th. We're also going to be doing that NFL draft Bible. We have some big announcements coming up. So please keep an eye out NFL draft Bible.com NFL draft Bible on Twitter. I'm going to end the show here with Mr. David Turner. Let me hear something that we should leave these guys with something, a point of emphasis that you want to end the first edition of Maverick sports take on. Well, two things really quick. And I'll get to that point really quick. Understand what Mavericks sports consulting was always formed about. It was again, we were asked to come in and, help interview prep Giovanni Bernard and teach him the business side. So when he went to the decision makers and he met them at the NFL combine, he knew what to say, what not to say, how to say it, how to dress, how to do all that stuff. We are all about maximizing the athlete's potential before they get the job and then when they get the job. So I would encourage everybody to go to maverickSportsConsulting.com, Look at all our service lines. If you're a young man who's thinking about seeding the season out, you can invest in a scouting report. We create it for you, myself personally. I watch your film. I interview you. I'll put you through the ringer. As a former decision maker, I can give you the viewpoint of you if you should or should not. And it's a very minimal monetary investment in your future to get an unbiased opinion if you should play or not play because that's what we're here for. There's other services there for agents or services there for fans, everybody. You just come in, take a look around. I think we got 13 like items right now up there for purchase. I invite you guys to come check it out, see if there's something for you. What should they be looking forward to next week? I think next week's going to be even a better show. We're going to take even a further depth into football. More things, more stuff are coming out. Like you said, we're going to have some special guests coming up. We're telling people like what, what their view and their takes are on all this. And check out the All Access Sports on uh, Twitter. We're doing a live feed this week talking all about the state of football. So, again, it's big things coming out. Like you said, we got really big announcements coming out soon. It's going to be fantastic. I just want to thank you. Thank the fans that participated in the mailbag today to kick off this, this program. That's going to be weekly and it's going to just be fantastic moving forward. So thank you, Ryan. Thank you fans. Thank you, everybody. This is a big moment for Maverick sports consulting. Absolutely. And David, David mentioned, 
everything that we should be talking about, Maverick Sports, obviously, Maverick Sports take here, NFL Draft Bible, the great partnership that is brewing and is continuing to grow here. We appreciate every one of you for all these mailbag questions, obviously your viewership, listening to the podcast. If you want to send us a, a recommend, uh, if you want to send us some feedback on the episode, a rate, everything that we want to do here on the podcast network, please send that our way. We're going to constantly be in, striving for improvement. We're, we're aiming for edu- educating the masses each and every week. So bringing on some industry professionals on top of just talking ball on a weekly basis. We hope you all enjoyed it again. We'll be back again next week on Wednesday, breaking it down for you guys once again. Mr. David Turner at Mav underscore sports. Myself, Ryan Roberts at Rising Draft. We appreciate you all, and we look forward to talking to you again next week. <laughs>